Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message from the Vandalia, Michigan campus. For more info, look us up at newdaycommunity.org. All right, well guys, it's good to be here. Um, It's been years since I've been down to this campus. Normally, I'm up at Kalamazoo. So, but yeah, it's great to be here. And Katrina, wherever she is, I had a similar testimony where, um, yeah? Children should be dismissed. Children. No, but you know what? You got it done, so... (laughs) No, you're, you're the best MC. Um, but I, the father would speak to me and say, I love you, son. And, and for a long time, I was like, well, okay, we all know that. You know, like, all, all right, you know, what's, tell me something unique. Tell me something I don't know. And what I didn't realize was that hearing him say the words was softening my heart. And it was making room for me to actually receive the love. You know, because you can, someone can tell you they love you, <clears throat> but it doesn't mean that your heart is open and your walls are down. And so he was doing this work in my heart to, to bring the walls down. So when you're sharing that, I was like, that's what happened to me. So I've got um, uh, a message today about the love of God, about the Father's love. And um, we're going to follow the story of a famous swindler in the Bible. Does everybody know what a swindler is? Is anybody here a swindler? Do you know a swindler? A swindler is somebody who um, tricks somebody so that they can steal from them, right? So a a thief will maybe just take something when you're not looking, but a swindler will try to earn your trust so that maybe they could take even more. And um, I was thinking, well, what, what is a modern-day uh, swindler that, that we all might know? And um, so I, I was turning to Google, and there were quite a few of them. But, but here's one <laughs> that you might know. His name is um, Lou Perlman. Does anyone know who this is? No. I was surprised in my church. Well, actually, I knew there was this one guy. I was like, he's going to know who this is. This is the guy that used to manage... Um, in sync and the Backstreet Boys, okay? And so he managed lots of bands, and a lot of those bands ended up having lawsuits against him because he was sneaky and tricky, and he wasn't doing things the right way. And um, so eventually he, he had to leave the music business, and then he started an airline, uh, you know, which makes sense, right? <laughs> music, airlines, they're the same. But it was a fake airline. It didn't really exist. But he managed to swindle $300 million uh, over several years, getting people to invest in something that never even existed, right? So that's, that's a swindler. And um, we're going to look at a swindler in the Bible. And his name is Absalom. Is anyone familiar with Absalom, right? He was one of David's sons, and, um, you know, you had, you had King Saul was the first king of Israel. Does everyone remember King Saul? And then King David is next, and then Absalom, for a brief, brief moment, becomes king, and he, he manages to swindle the kingdom 
away from David and win the people's hearts. And in the end, uh, there's a, a fight. He's hunting David down. He's trying to kill David. He's trying to take everything away from David. And he dies. And in that moment, David says, David's upset that his son is dead. But for me, whenever I read that story, I would think, well, David is having a weak moment, right? <laughs> because this guy needed to die. You know, it's like it, I, I, I have the feeling when I read that part, like when you watch, you know, an action movie and the villain dies, you don't think, oh, that poor guy. You think, okay, now I can relax. He's out of the picture. Everyone's safe. And, um, and I read this book years ago called A Tale of Three Kings. Yeah, you've read that? And so it's a, a leadership book using those first three kings of, of Israel. You've got Saul, David, and Absalom. And so David's leadership is used as an, as an example of, you know, good leadership. And even though David wasn't perfect, you know, he, he just did a lot of things right. And so he's the good example. And then Saul and Absalom are used to teach us all the things that we should never do. So every time I read the story of Absalom, I think, well, you know, I already have this whole picture of what the story is all about. And, you know, I can't wait for this guy to come to an untimely end or timely end, whichever it is. And um, so, but I want to look at this story today and we're going to read through it. And um, I turned in scriptures, so we're going to see. Oh, look at that. This is great. So we're going we're gonna to read through the story, and we're going to see uh, what the Lord wants to say. So um, we're going to pick up from 2 Samuel 15, verses 1 through 14. And if, if you have not, we're, we're just skimming through the story, really. This is a significant story. This takes up one-third of the book of 2 Samuel, the, all of the events that overlap with Absalom's life. It's a significant story, and we don't talk about it much in the church. Maybe you guys do here. Maybe you guys are doing Absalom studies and all that, but I don't hear about Absalom that much. So at this point where we're picking up the story, Absalom already has a checkered past. He's already gotten into trouble, and other people were doing things wrong around him. I mean, it's, this is David's family, but it's a little bit like Dynasty back in the 80s, right? Do you remember that show? And, you know, there's a lot of drama, corruption. It's hot. There's oil under the ground. They just haven't found it yet. So there's a lot going on, and a lot of people are doing wrong things. And so Absalom's not the only one, but he's already gotten in trouble. He's already killed one of his brothers. He's already fled to another country. Now he's back, and... Um, and he's kind of upset because David's mad with him and he's not been welcomed in uh, to the... I think at this point he'd just been welcomed back into the house. So, but now he starts to scheme, okay? So this is Second Samuel 15, uh, verse 1. After this, it happened that Absalom provided himself with chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. Now Absalom would rise early and stand beside the way to the gate... So it was, however, that anyone who had a lawsuit came to the king for a decision. That Absalom would call to him and say, What city are you from? And he would say, Your servant is from such and such a tribe of Israel. So, oh, Absalom's kind of a nice guy, right? He's just hanging out by the city gate, 
greeting people that, you know, have a case. Wow, maybe he's kind of a good guy. Maybe he's not bad. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your case is good and right, but there is no deputy of the king to hear you. And it's like, oh, that's interesting. (laughs) He's trying to draw the people away now. Moreover, Absalom would say, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, and that everyone who had any suit or cause would come to me. Then I would give him justice. And so it was, whenever anyone came near to bow down to him, that he would put out his hand and take him and kiss him. Absalom, what a nice guy. You know, he's so overlooked. If, if, if only would some, someone would just see his gifting and just give him a chance and give him a place. Like, man, he's so nice. He cares for us. He just cares for the people. Well, it says this. In this manner, Absalom acted toward all Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. He's a swindler. I knew it. There's something wrong with this guy. He's acting nice. He's acting like he's this really great guy that wants to help out. But all of it is for one purpose. It's so that he can steal the hearts. He can take them away. They don't belong to him. Right? God gave the kingdom to David. And the kingdom belonged to him. So Absalom wants to take it for himself. Now it came to pass after, there are a couple different translations. Some say 40 years and some say four. So I think 40 could be when Absalom was 40 or four could mean four years of nonsense. Um, I don't know the answer to that one, but Mark will have coffee with you this week and he will answer that, that deep question. So after 40 years, it came to pass that after 40 years, Absalom said to the king, Please let me go to Hebron and pay the vow which I made to the Lord. For your servant took a vow while I dwelt in Jeshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord indeed brings me back to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said to him, Go in peace. So he rose and went to Hebron. Then Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel. Swindler! He is scheming. All of this is a false plan. He's sending out spies. Uh, He sent out the spies saying, As soon as you hear the sound of the trumpet, then you shall say, Absalom reigns in Hebron. And with Absalom went 200 men invited from Israel, and they went along innocently and did not know anything. He's just tricking people. He is trying to steal the kingdom. And as you read on through the story, we won't read all of it, um, he manages to take the kingdom, and even though most of the people don't really know what's going on, they get caught up in the hype, they get caught up in the swirl, and suddenly David says to his people that are loyal to him, guys, we better leave now or we're going to be dead. And so David flees, and he's on the run, running from his son who has stolen the hearts. He's stolen the the throne, and he comes to Jerusalem, and he becomes king. And then at that point, Absalom starts to hunt David down, and he starts to do detestable things to send the message, I am against David. 
you know, he's doing everything he can to make himself a despicable person in the eyes of David to send a message, I am against him. But then it happened as he was chasing David down, and I don't know how this happened. He was riding on his donkey or on his mule that his head got caught in a tree. Okay? Maybe he had a large head. I don't know. But he was stuck in a tree, and one of David's men struck him down and killed him. And, um, and at this point, David was upset because David had given instructions not to kill him. So these are the words that David says in 2 Samuel 18.33. Then the king was deeply moved and went up to the chamber over the gate and wept. And as he went, he said thus, O my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died in your place, O Absalom, my son, my son. And this is the part, when, when reading it, I always thought, well, that's David's weak moment. But the last time I read through this story, I just saw something different. And this is the whole focal point of today, is that when David said those words, he meant them. And they were actually godly words. That he looked at his son, who was an absolute swindler, And in his heart, he was saying, I would have rather died on that tree than you. If only we could trade places. And I I don't think he meant, if only I could just die and you could keep on being a swindler. I don't think that's what he meant. I think what he meant was, if only I could, if I could just take the punishment for everything you've done wrong in your place, because he really did deserve to die even according to the law. And you could have my life instead. And you could continue on and be right. If, if we could do that, I would say yes. That, that was what David was saying. And when I saw that, it changed the whole story. Because when you fast forward about a thousand years, you have a man hung on a tree, as it's described in, uh, by Peter, you know, the cross dying for every swindler that ever lived, taking the punishment for every crooked and broken person. Jesus Christ came because of the heart of the Father. Jesus didn't write his own script, but he he only did what he saw the Father do. And Jesus coming and dying on the cross was a representation of the very heart of the Father, to take the punishment of those who had done wrong, including people like Absalom, including the, the thieves on either side of him who were, did something bad enough. It says they were thieves, but they did something bad enough to deserve the death penalty. And so they were, they were bad guys, right? And so Jesus came because of the Father's love to redeem us. And when I read that, when I saw that, I was like, we are all Absalom. You know, we might be a little bit nicer and a little bit better, but coming into the Father's kingdom 
is not about being better than anybody who's out there. It's not about being better than anybody else that's in here. And it's not even being about being better than we used to be. But it's about becoming as good as Christ. And that through what he's done, we escape the punishment that we deserve. And we get to enter into and walk in his own righteousness. So I started to see this and I started to think, okay, this is really touching. Can we get that picture up? That, that I put in, and I started to think about the things that I had done, and I don't know, has, does anyone recognize this type of thing and remember that? Yeah, this is an old uh, toy from like the 1950s or 60s, and when I was about four or five years old, um, my neighbor across the street had one. In fact, my grandparents had this, uh, I think this same exact one, because it had an elevator in it, and you know, you'd play with Hot Wheels on it. It was a big tin garage on a piece of masonite board on the floor, on the bottom. And um, you can see where there used to be little gas pumps that stuck in those holes. And, but, they, you know, they're kind of always falling apart. They're just pieces of tin kind of clipped together, and they're kind of rickety. They weren't built to last. And when I was about four or five years old, I was in, uh, lived in Detroit, and I was across the street at this uh, neighbor's house, and he had one of these, and it was completely coming apart at every seam. And he said, um, yeah, I think I'm going to throw this away. And I said, yeah, I think you should throw that away. <laughs> because I knew, <laughs> like, I could fix it. So I was like, yeah, you should, that's junk. Like, you should get rid of that now. And so I tried to swindle him out of his service station when I was four or five years old. And then, and then his dad came around the corner and was like, no, we're not throwing that away. I was like, oh, darn it. So close. You know, and then when I was uh, in first grade, when I was six years old, I stole a Star Wars figure out of someone else's desk. Hammerhead, right? Because the movie had just come out. And then somebody stole my Luke Skywalker and pilot uniform from me out of my desk. He actually swindled me. He asked me if he could borrow it, and I said yes, and then he never brought it back, and he always had a reason why he couldn't. Oh, yeah, I'll get it tomorrow. And, you know, so I started to see, like, we all have a story in our life, and we all were born in sin. We all need to be cleansed. I want to read um, from 1 Corinthians 6, verses 7 through 11. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? But you yourselves wrong and defraud, even your own brothers. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And so he's going to give us a list of people who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, um, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. So here's this list of folks. It's like, these guys are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Can we get the next? And such were some of you. So he's writing to this church, 
saying these, remember guys, don't be deceived. People on this list are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. But remember, some of you were on this list. Some of you were thieves. And some of you were swindlers. And some of you were homosexuals. Right? But you were washed, you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So here's this list of folks who will not inherit the kingdom. But then he says, but, but some of you guys were on this list. But we've been washed, sanctified, and justified. So what does that mean, to be washed? And so to be washed refers to the spiritual cleansing from the guilt and the dominating power of sin that occurs at salvation. So when the Father looks and says, oh, that I would die in their place, it's not that we would continue in the brokenness and in the sin. It's that he could begin to include us in something that he's prepared. And at first is to be washed. Second is sanctified. The initial break with the love of sin and the break with the ongoing, pro- and the ongoing process of becoming free from the love of sin. And I love this. This is from Baker's Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology. Um, this is a, the, a definition that they give for sanctification. The generic meaning of sanctification is the state of proper functioning. To, to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the intended use by its designer. A pen is sanctified when used to write, and it goes on. So when, when an item is used for the purpose that the designer intended, it's sanctified. You know, if, you, if you've ever watched The Born Identity, um, Jason Bourne, it's like a spy movie, action, he takes a pen and he turns it into a weapon and he stabs a guy in the hand. That is not sanctified. That is not the proper use according to the designer of the pen, right? But if you took that pen and you washed it and then you wrote with it again, you'd be sanctifying it. You'd be cleansing it. You'd be sanctifying it. And so the good news is that he wants to take people that are really, really, really broken And he not only died for them, he not only took the punishment, but he's going to restore them to a design that he had uh, for them in the very first place. Isn't that good news? And then he wants to justify them. And that justify here is not, it's not about being right, like I'm right and you're wrong. It's more of like a, a legal status, not guilty. He wants to put a declaration over us that says, not guilty. This is the love of the Father. This is what he came to do. There's a, a, a very complete work that he wants to do that brings us from where we came from into a good place with him. And, you know, there, there is a lot of talk in our culture these days about inclusivity, What does it mean to be included or excluded? And it's in the news. And I'm telling you, this is the Father's plan for inclusivity. Such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. 
And, and he is looking to include even more. He wants to include even more. He's looking for more swindlers. He's looking for more homosexuals. He's looking for more adulterers. He's looking for more drunkards and thieves. Why? So he can include them in that place, right? The problem is not everybody wants that kind of inclusion because they want to say, I don't need to be washed, right? But what, what did Jesus say to Peter when Peter said, oh, no, Lord, you don't wash, you don't, don't wash me. Don't wash my feet. Jesus said, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. But Jesus wants to, and when Jesus said that, Peter's like, okay, just wash all of me, right? He wanted it. And um, I was reading about uh, a mainline denomination that they're really concerned that because uh, within the Bible, there's such an emphasis on the father and the son who are both men that it will put some people off from finding God. And so in not, they're not talking about changing the Bible, but they're talking about changing their book of prayer to be gender neutral so that all of the God talk uh, has nothing to do with masculinity or femininity, right? Because they want to include people. But that, that is one kind of inclusion. And you can do that, right? You can make up your own thing. But unless Jesus washes you, you have no part with him. And you are literally just now making up your own story. And you are now making up a new system of beliefs. And you might use some of the same vocabulary, but it's just not the real person. It's not the real Jesus. It's not the real father anymore. This is his plan of how he wants to include people. And he's inclusive. And now you read about all sorts of things. You read about uh, a man who says that he identifies as a woman. Well, you know what? That's no problem. You can be included. You can be included in the same thing that I have been included in because you can be washed and you can be sanctified. And, but but I, I've had these desires my whole life. As long as I can remember, you know, you read about people, you talk to people that talk about the desires uh, that they've wrestled with their whole life, same-sex attraction. You know, that's, that's always been there. And they think that it's part of who they are. Let's, let's look at Jeremiah. Um, 1, verses 4 through 8. Now the word of the Lord came to me, this is Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. So before the sperm met the egg, God already had a plan and a design for Jeremiah's life. Right? And he already determined, you're going to be a prophet to the nations. And then I said, ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. Jeremiah's like, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the plans that you have for me. They're not just resonating with me. You know, like, I'm not, this isn't just the desire of my heart. This plan that you've had for me before I was born, before I was ever created, before my 
mother and father came together, this plan that you had, I'm not so sure about it, right? Then I, and that, but the Lord said to me, do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. And he affirms that calling. Paul says the same thing. He says, he who called me uh, before I was, um, forget the exact wor- uh, verbiage of it, but it's kind of the similar thing. He who called me before I was formed in my mother's womb. That, it, like people that have wrestled with desires their whole life for same-sex attraction, well, there's good news. Because before they ever had a thought of their own, before they ever had a desire of their own, somebody else had a plan for them. And the Lord wants to wash them and sanctify them. He wants to restore them to the plan that he had before they were ever conceived. And he can do that. That's what he wants to do. He wants to bring us into that place. Guys, that is such good news, isn't it? He wants to uh, take people and put them into his house. He wants to include us into his house. So what does this mean? Are we now perfect that have entered into his house? No, we're not perfect. But yet we cannot go back to what we've been freed from. We cannot go back to it. Paul writes about that in the previous chapter, 1 Corinthians 5. Um, where he says, let's put that one up too. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, uh, not at all meaning the sexually immoral people of this world or the greedy and swindlers. We should be hanging out with swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with, with anyone who bears the name of where I, my writing is cut off. Brother. Where is it? Right in the middle. Thank you. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Okay, we can't go back to that, but he's saying, but you should be out there hanging out with those people, Right? Do you know what a reviler is? Reviler is somebody who is verbally abusive. Is anyone here on Facebook? (laughs) Right? There are a lot of revilers. Does anyone watch the news? There are a lot of revilers on the news, news channel. Right? Those are the people that Jesus died for. Right? We look at them like, um, maybe they're the enemies of the kingdom, but maybe it's just the harvest revealing itself. Now, in the church, we shouldn't act that way, right? And unfortunately, we see people in the church joining in to what's happening in the world. That really saddens my heart. It, it makes sense to me that people that don't know Jesus would act super crazy, right? Because I used to not be a Christian, I, I know, But people in the church are following that example and joining in. We can't go back to that. But when we see all of these things happening around the world, if it grieves us, that's all right. It should. 
right? It should grieve us to see uh, the, the crazy things that are happening in our culture. But we should not put up a wall against the people, but we should realize that we are here because the Father looked at us and said, oh, that I could die in their place. And he sent his son. And now he's asking us to look out at these people around us. He's looking for more unrighteous. He's looking for more sexually immoral. He's looking for more idolaters, adulterers. He's looking for more homosexuals. He's looking for more thieves. He's looking for greedy, for drunkards. He's looking for more revilers and more swindlers. And he's looking for nice people, too, and normal people, too. Um, But he is looking for these folks to bring them in. And in the days that we live in, um, it's still time for people to get saved. It is still harvest time. 2 Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. He is waiting so that more can reach repentance, that more can come and enter into his kingdom. Amen? Let's stand up and let's, let's intercede for the people on this list. Let's bless them and intercede and extend grace because that is the heart of the Father, is to extend the grace. Again, not that people would stay there, but guys, we're going to see people get saved. We're going to see a lot of obnoxious folks snap out of it and come into the kingdom. Look at the Apostle Paul. Like, who was more obnoxious than him? Right? Killing Christians. Attack, going out of his way to other towns to arrest Christians, right? We are going to see these people come to the Lord. So let's intercede for them right now, and let's extend blessing. So, Father, we just lift up the unrighteous people around us um, in our culture, people that we know, people that we see, we work with, we go to school with, um, people around us, people we see in the media, we just lift up the unrighteous, Lord, and we lift up the sexually immoral. And we say, Lord, thank you that you died for these people. Thank you that because of your great love, you, you died in their place. And Lord, we just lift them up. We lift up the idolaters, all the people practicing false religions and um, getting into the new age or Wicca or all, the, all of those other crazy things. We intercede on their behalf that they would come into knowledge of the true God. We, we lift up adulterers. We lift up homosexuals. We lift up thieves. Um, Lord, we just say, Father, would you, all of these people, would you wash? Bring them into your kingdom, Lord. Wake them up and bring them into the place like you did for us. Include them. We want to see them included. We want to see them washed. We want to see them sanctified and restored to their original purpose. We, we intercede for this generation uh, and all of the folks that are caught up in confusion about their gender 
and all of that, we intercede and we say, Lord, have mercy. And we ask that they do not get what they deserve, but that they would get set free by the power of Jesus Christ, that they would come into salvation, that they would experience a cleansing and a sanctification, and that we just pray for testimonies of restoration where people get a complete deliverance from the desires that they've wrestled with and experience a restoration to your, your desire, your, your design that you laid out for them. Lord, we just pray for the greedy and the drunkards. Um, Lord, people with addictions, people who are stuck in addictions, even meth addiction um, in that lifestyle. Lord, we just ask for a harvest out of these rough places that you would rescue these people that you, we just declare, you look at them and the works that they're doing, and you say, oh, that I could pay the price for what you're doing right now. And you did. You sent Jesus. But your heart still looks at them like, I've come, I paid it. I've done it. And Lord, we just ask that you would see a return on your investment. We lift up the revilers on Facebook if we have reviled, <laughs> we repent. Because <laughs> we can't go back to it, guys. <laughs> Lord, we just, we just lift up the media and uh, the people that are just being verbally abusive, uh, insulting and criticizing in an angry manner. We just lift them up and we ask for mercy. We ask that they don't get what they deserve, but that they get mercy and forgiveness and that they enter into your grace and into your salvation. And of course, finally, we lift up the swindlers, Lord, and all of those folks out there. And we also include all of the nice people. And Lord, bring in lots of nice people too. <laughs> Father, we, I just ask that, that we thank you that you have included us. Father, into your house. We are in your house. You loved us. You looked at us in our absolute worst moment. And you said, oh, that I could pay the price for that. The worst moment, you said that. And you did it. And we thank you for that. And Lord, we pray for our generation that, that what you did would receive the appropriate harvest. We just pray for the harvest in Jesus' name. Amen.